I was in the grocery store the other day and I had one of those moments where the sort of absurdity of everything kind of becomes a little too much to bear. But I was standing there in line and you know that Rascal Flat song that's like, Summer nights, everybody's feeling sexy. Is that right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I miss I summer nights, everybody feeling sexy by Rascal Flat. You don't remember that song? I got off the train with them on uh, God Bless the Broken Road, which has since been immortalized in the trap song. <laughs> they were like, they were like, um, they were like a Christian band for what they, what they were. They were like a secular band for Christians. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Christians can um, listen to them, not feel bad about it. Yeah, and in fact, the brother of one of one of them has a brother who's in a Christian band. Oh, okay. So it makes sense. Anyways, this song was written. It was big in like 2009, I think, maybe 2010. Well, that would make sense. 2004 is about where I quit with them. Um. Anyways, I was just standing there, and the song like, "Summer nights, everybody's feeling sexy," and I'm like looking around, and there's like. People have their shopping carts just packed to the brim with like beans and toilet paper. We're in the midst guy, of the, a global health crisis. Yeah, Everybody's the dejected. Guy, yeah, the, <laughs> the the headline on the paper next to me is like twelve new deaths in Letcher <laughs> County. The guy next to me has like a Confederate flag face mask on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nobody's feeling sexy. Nobody's feeling sexy. <laughs> We're not feeling sexy. <laughs> God damn it, dude. It's bad out there. Man. That's funny. It's, uh... Uh... Yeah, they had that song, uh... What was their big Christian song that was like, He ain't the leaving kind. He'll oh, never yeah. walk away. Um, I wonder if that's still true in 2020. Wait, but there is a song... Looks like he might have walked not away. The- <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying he has. I'm just saying I wouldn't rule it out. Are you not? Are you sure you're not confusing that song with um, "She's Not the Cheating Kind"? She's never fooling around. No, I think they did like a flip, a Christian flip on that called "He Ain't the Leaving Kind." He'll never <laughs> walk away. It's like an emotional. Like God? Yeah, like, as in God. Interesting. I would like to believe that. I really would like to believe that. But the funny thing is, the funny thing about Christianity is that because during the 20th century, Americans experienced so much comfortability and, you know, elevated living standards, like, we tend to forget that Christianity was forged in the fires of a declining empire, the Roman Empire. And so it was quite literally a philosophical system meant for people who saw the world getting worse and knew that it wasn't going to be getting better anytime soon yeah yeah and so how do you how do you face that in the with uh growing evidence that you might not get out of this thing alive i well this is the this is the e-crisis do you want to do the long-awaited episode on the e-crisis we've wanted to do let's talk about the e-crisis a little bit (laughs) all right um well, you know, we, we throw this term around all the time, epistemological crisis, right? And um, in a very loose sense, how would you define it? How would you define what exactly an epistemological crisis is? 
I mean, just in like a, in layman's terms, I would say it's when no one knows quite what to believe. Uh huh. That's just my very rudimentary. Of course, you know I could go on about this for hours. I have a deep well spring of knowledge about <laughs> it. But just uh, brass tacks—that's the broad strokes. I think that um, I think you're right. Um, usually, when we refer to an epistemo- epistemology, we are referring to. So there's two ways that I feel like it's used. The first is like, um, how do we know what we know? Yeah. You know how how can we trust? The information that's coming into us do we do we determine do do we interpret the world through our senses our empirical uh, our ability to read empirical data or do we interpret the world through reason yeah yeah that's what we should say it's not necessarily like um nobody knows what to believe it's like there what is like objectively true to everybody yeah in in yes like our our starting point there's two points. Yes, exactly. There's two points to it. So there's the one I just said, and then there's the one that you just said, which is, how do you? What is the story you tell about the world to make it make sense? Like, what is the social explanation yeah. of reality? And um, so when you talk about an epistemological crisis, an e-crisis, you're talking about a breakdown in, in a sort of collective understanding of how to how the world works interpret reality yeah, yeah right <laughs> this is this is um in some ways the biggest challenge you can face yes uh, it's the big one <laughs> like the scariest <laughs> thing that could happen in the world is an epistemological crisis exactly you can completely lose faith in your ability to interpret, interpret reality. reality and it's uh <laughs> well um Let's keep it to the historical, because, like, look, if you're talking about an epistemological crisis, you're talking about a, uh, a his- not only a personal event, but a historical event, right. right? So, if you look at the long history of philosophy, yeah. you will notice that during times of uh, despair and uncertainty, certain philosophical systems are born. So, for example, look at the Hellenistic Age. The Hellenistic Age was right after Alexander the Great. Perhaps you've heard of yeah. him. Um, uh, you know, went around the world from place to place, sort of like Napoleon. Famous for having conquered the world at age 27 and crying because he didn't have anything else to conquer. I mean, experience I not dissimilar to my trajectory at 27. <laughs> exactly. But uh, you'll, you'll recall that he also died very soon after he conquered the uh, world and didn't have anything what else do you, to do. What do you do? You know what I mean? You want you you want to go out on top. You want to go out while you're still hot. That's true. That's absolutely um, true. But this plunged the world into political uncertainty. Um, famously, his empire was divided up between, I think, three or four different kingdoms. And, you know, this... Uh, like I said, this, this created a lot of political turmoil. Let me ask you a question so real the- quick before you go any further. How does one get into conquering business? <laughs> like, was Alexander born into some sort of nobility, or did he just wake up and say, eh, I think I just want to pillage and ravage the whole world and make it my own? His father was also... So he, he inherited the family business. Oh. Um, his 
father is King Philip. Oh, okay. Uh, perhaps you've heard of him as well. I thought she, I thought she was going to say, yeah, dad on the hardware store. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> his dad was a fur trapper. And... <laughs> yes. Dad traded beaver pelts. He inherited the business. One thing led to another. Right. Before he, before he knew it, he owned half the world. Um, but, you know, in, in this era between Alexander and the stabilization, the stabilizing force of the Roman Empire, you had a, a couple of, well, let's call it about 200 years or so, this era of political turmoil and uncertainty where things looked like they were just getting worse for everybody. Let me ask you this, too. <laughs> I don't mean to keep stop, but in the ancient oh. world, doesn't it seem like time mattered like it's weird because you lived a lot shorter but like what we would consider a decade probably transpired over two or three hundred years back in the day you know what i mean like <laughs> damn the 80s were wild yeah and so were the fourth fifth and sixth centuries <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's like our relationship to time is like changed even like that uh i have an author for you if you're interested in that his name is giovanni Arrighi. <laughs> Time speeds up and slows down uh, because of capitalist accumulation. Yeah. The regimes of capitalist accumulation. In the ancient world, you didn't have so much innovation. That's why. <laughs> Things were slower. Sort of moved at a glacial pace there in antiquity. Yeah. Um, but in this period is when you have the birth of, like, you know, the four philosophical schools that um, we all know and love. Stoicism, cynicism, skepticism, and Epicureanism. And, um, I mean, just the names themselves should give you a pretty good idea of why uh, these schools of thought were so popular in this time. Do you remember uh, when Stoicism really kind of got an audience with the tech bro scene for a while? I'd say it still does. It's like, it's weirdly enough... Stoicism is probably the only philosophical school of thought. I'm not including Platonism, uh, Aristotelianism, because uh, those things are baked into Christianity. But Stoicism is baked into all of our natural law. Yeah, I feel like. And um, <laughs> just the TLDR version is uh, adopt a stiff upper lip. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you would see guys like buying Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Um, uh, because all these dudes are oh man I read something one time I, f I forget who it was but it was one of these like billionaire assholes that was like the thing I liked so much about Marcus Aurelius is that he was he was the well I guess he was the emperor right or what what was he he was yeah, he was, he was the, the emperor, emperor yeah right. and it's like and he chose to live a moral life he didn't have to he could have had all the wives and concubines and whatever he wanted to, but he chose to do the right things. And like, yeah, I'm sure that's how that went down. <laughs> um, well, that was what made his stoicism so uh, important. Yeah. I guess. Is people, yeah, I guess, I don't know, like it's a, it's a philosophical system that can be applied to pretty much anything, right? Like say you're a, you're a slave, like a... a um, you know, you can you can be stoic about your situation, and if you're a king who has to make hard decisions, you can be stoic about your situation. Yeah, it makes sense that it would get purchased with like uh, the tech billionaires and the Silicon Valley types. They're, I mean, the 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 through line with all those guys is they're terrified of death. 
Uh-huh. So it, it makes sense that stoicism is what they're adopting is like sort of their. <laughs> In fairness, I'm not thrilled about it. I'm not thrilled. About it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not happy about it either. <laughs> um, but anyways, you could say, and I think that you'd be correct in saying so the people of that era faced their own epistemological crisis okay you know how do you make sense of the world me personally of all these schools of thought i think i probably hew a little closer to epicureanism just because of its foundation like epicurus was kind a of a guy he, well, actually, he was very much like us. He was kind of a hypochondriac, but at the same time, he was also legitimately... He, my man had IBS, I think. He was always complaining of a fucked up stomach. Yeah. He was always shitting his doo-doo yeah. ass. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's that's where you get this idea, uh, you know, this sort of Epicurean idea that um, suffering is a part of, of life and you want to maximize your pleasure. But... Epicurean Epicurus wasn't like one of these guys who says you should maximize your pleasure by being selfish and doing whatever you want. Like, um, I think it was more along the lines of you can reject the world, go live in a commune, try to maximize your unhappiness because the world cannot be changed. And this is the kind of this is a kind of this is again this is I think sort of the. Another thing about the epistemological crisis, the idea that humans can actually change the world, uh, not humans, regular ass people like us, the idea that regular ass people like us can actually intervene in history and change the world is, I feel like, a pretty recent one in the grand arc of Western thought, you know, and, and so we all... We all say we believe this, right? Yeah. Because like this is what Marx's materialism essentially was. But I think that partially the reason we are having an e-crisis is because on one hand we all say this. We all say that we can change the world that, you know, workers create capital for the capitalist and therefore we can withhold our labor, we can intervene in the stream of history and bend history towards our right. will. We all say this. Yeah. On the other hand, we have had no empirical data to verify that. We've had nothing coming in to say that that's true. Yeah. And so we're constantly in this space where we think we can change the world on one hand. Philosophically, that's the optimism of the intellect or whatever. I don't even know how this quote goes. But on the other hand, we know deep down empirically that we can't because we've not done it so far. And in There's fact, no precedence for this. There's exactly, exactly. So I think that's the e crisis. Um, it's that space between those two, re- those two um, philosophical, I, I guess, facts is I don't want to use that word, but you see what I'm right. saying between those two things. Yeah. And the way that you resolve that, synthesize it, and get out of it, I don't have any answers for you there. <laughs> All I can do is diagnose it. You know what I'm uh, saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends on what day of the week. Some days, I, you know, I get really inspired and say, well, we can, you know, we just got to keep plugging along, and eventually history will open up and we'll be able to step in. But most of the time I go around thinking, there's probably not a whole lot we can do. Yes, keep doing what you want to do, but it would probably behoove you to maybe get into religion or some sort of spiritual practice 
or something. There's there's a lot of booby traps to it. Global pandemic. Um, I don't know. Barack Obama. It's like every time something like <laughs> pops up, that's like okay, this could be the thing. This could be something like a catalyst, or at least some sort of like start to to something. Then it seems like something comes along to neutralize that. I think that's what liberalism's role in the world is. Assad Hader talks about that a little bit. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like it's sort of like because liberalism needs conservatism or like that sort of reactionary thinking that like the experience of you know having power seeing it threatened and then like you know doing what you have to do to like maintain it liberalism has to engage with that where leftism doesn't so liberalism is that great neutralizing thing in the world I don't know yeah it's a a little stray nugget for you (laughs) Well, it's the thing that tells you that there's no... I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's the thing that polices your political imagination. And more importantly, your sort of social vision. Like, you know, I've been reading that... I, I'm not going to... I don't want to draw a one-to-one here. This is dangerous territory. But I just want to draw some um, observations. I'm reading Clyde Woods' Development Arrested <laughs> and... <laughs> I don't want to draw one to one here, but I'm reading uh, the Gospel of the Minor Prophet Haggai. <laughs> he has some interesting things to say about the E crisis, actually. I mean, really, though. Yeah. Uh, um, that that that. So I've been reading Bertrand Russell's History of Western Philosophy, and that's the only reason why. It's because I'm I've just been like, well, what do people do in previous instances? In in history, when they look at everything that's going on and see things getting gradually worse, they don't see any inclination that, uh, of history to get better, of material conditions to get better, of there to be any hope or optimism. And um, turns out there's a lot of uh, examples of people, you know, like I said, looking around and being like, well, yeah, the, the, it seems like the general trend here is um, towards more bad and what's the source therefore, what's, the, what's some of what does uh, Bertrand say are some of the sources of hope at times like that <laughs> um, well I'm, I don't know if he really so it's a very weird book it's funny because I'm almost done with it I'm like got 200 pages left and just recently I read that apparently philosophers hate it really <laughs> yeah um because I guess they think that he can't like figure out whether he wants it to be like a history or a polemic. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't know if Bertrand Russell has any um, sort of overarching bias. His chapter on Marx is pretty fascinating um, because, you know, Bertrand Russell was a socialist, but he wasn't a Marxist. He was just like a, like a democratic socialist. Or you know what I mean, like yeah. a... Back then, you could be a socialist without being a Marxist right. socialist. Yeah. Um, but I do have to hand it to him. He doesn't, like, disparage Marx or do the whole, like, Marx is responsible for all the atrocities of the past or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, actually, I don't have the book next to me, but actually, he does a very fascinating thing where he um, compares Marxism to um, the Judy the Judaic sort of eschatology. So, like, 
you know, in his conception, like, the proletariat are um, the chosen people. Yeah. Um, you know, capital is the great devil. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's very, it's very interesting. He does make a point. Like, Marxism does tell a... It does have its own epistemology. It does tell a story about the way things are. Um, but again, I think that's the e-crisis because like, we all read the story and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. But at the same time, part of knowing that the story is real is believing deep down that you can change the world. And once again, we're confronted with the reality that we, we can't. can't. I, I mean, I'm saying in generalizations because there are examples of victories, you know, and I don't want to like... Yeah, that's what... I mean, like, I'll, I'm always, like, trying to tell myself that when I get, like, derisive about something like voting, for example. Like, it's, everything's like voting now, right? And it's just like... Yeah. I don't want to be derisive of that because, like, I mean, that was an important victory in the civil rights movement. You know what I mean? At the same time... Like we got to be honest, we got to be candid about the fact that it doesn't avail much because of you know certain stumbling blocks, you know, gerrymandering yeah. or or you know voter disenfranchisement, or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we talked about this on the Patreon on Sunday, um, which if you want to hear our thoughts about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, sign up for the Patreon. Although I can't really guarantee you, there's a whole lot. A whole lot of profound thoughts. <laughs> we need the money. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, people on the sort of progressive left just kind of stopped after that. You know what I mean? Like, we talked about this with regards to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. People stopped fighting for a better future, for more advances, and then dug in. Yeah. And so that's why liberals are now obsessed with precedent and what in in the realm of law. And why conservatives are now at the activists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. It's a bit. Well, I mean, it's I, I guess that's probably the natural progression, though. I mean, if we're if we're being honest, but it's it's weird that like that ground's been ceded to the conservatives. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sure people listening in wanted 20 minutes up top of dude bros talking philosophy and I'm positive I will get people screaming at me for getting something wrong in all of that uh, so you can't touch the ancient world without people having you know a lot of feelings about it <laughs> of, any, of, of anything that we get nasty comments or letters about it's usually something to do with the ancient world or our, or our dude, understanding serious? of the ancient world Seriously, people have no idea that a I'm not an expert. B I spend all my time reading other people's shit. I've never been to grad school. I took like one classics course in college. Yeah, we're trying to cobble this together, and you don't. I mean, I guess the cat's out the bag. That I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that is, dude. That is true. We get more hate mail. Over it's like. <laughs> Man, it's like, uh, yeah, you have some, you have some very retrograde opinions about the, uh, about the Socratic method. <laughs> Y'all don't know shit about the school at Athens. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, before we piss any more anyone else off, let's pivot to the modern world. Um, 
so we're recording this Thursday, September 24th. Um, sorry, Tanya couldn't make it today. Um, it's been a crazy week in our world. And so uh, you're getting the skeleton crew. <laughs> yeah, we're a little thin. We're uh, a little thin today. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's been a crazy week in the not just our world, but in everybody's world as well. So we're recording this the day after it was announced that no charges would be brought against the killers of Breonna Taylor in Louisville on the Louisville Metro Police Department. Except I think one of them is getting charged with like wanton endangerment. Yeah. I believe because he fired off his because they were all firing so many goddamn bullets a few of them probably went through the wall yeah it's probably it's, um, yeah it's yeah you can tell that has more to the property damage than the actual loss of life you can just tell that from the police report no injuries dude it, it's it's incredible that they that they by charging that guy was wanting endangerment they are admitting that they probably shot so many goddamn bullets at a defenseless helpless person in their own bed that some of them went through the wall and endangered somebody next door. Yeah. Uh, but it's not murder. It's, def- it's definitely not murder, and they definitely didn't do anything wrong. Um, but the whole thing was very bizarre. I mean, they announced, I believe, on Monday, I think. Yeah, Monday. Monday night that the National Guard was going to be deployed. You saw businesses boarding up their windows the town the city getting ready for something you know and nobody knew quite what it was the i want to read this to you because i thought this was fascinating um and i don't know do you remember do you know the name of the guy who was charged with wanton endangerment hankinson okay it was hankinson all right yeah well so, you know, over the course of Monday and Tuesday and early Wednesday, it became this very bizarre theater where, like, the entire city was bracing themselves. Which, by the way, just as an aside, it's so absurd to me that the city would be bracing themselves for what they knew was going to be this, this decision that nobody liked. And, you know... And so you get this situation where, on one hand, you're you're being reminded that the the people, the citizens of the city, are about to receive news that they don't like, yeah. and therefore we don't live in a democracy because if there was actually democratic justice, the citizens would get what they want. But on the other hand, you're being told at all times to go vote. The democratic process is still you know alive and well and must be used to get this guy out. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like you get these two conflicting ideas that like you live in a democracy and you don't live in a democracy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's like I mean, we're talking about the you know, when we opened up with the e crisis. It's like we have a, we have a disconnect between what is true like the the efficacy of voting and what is like it's accepted that we should all just go do that thing. Like, even though there's nothing on the other end of it. You know, like, we know that. And yet, you get sneered at, you get uh, derided as, like, some sort of, like, I don't know, like, some sort of, like, monster that's, like, spitting in the face of, like, Martin King and everybody that came before us if, like, you have, like, questions about... 
you know, like what's like the effic- just like the efficacy of voting. I don't know. It's uh, it's a weird response in the face of a probably the biggest crisis we'll ever face in our lifetime. I mean, at this side of like climate change. I mean, something that you know is going to threaten our existence. But like. You know, it's it it is it is I'm trying to I'm I mean, I'm trying to like articulate without using a cliche like bringing a, a knife to a gunfight or what <laughs> something stupid like that. You know what I mean? But it's just woefully deficient response. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the liberals themselves are in their own e-crisis and the fact that they can't own up to it and face that reality is i mean if you're an american you're very if you're an american in in any way invested in the political system political developments then you are probably in your own e-crisis unless you're like maga yeah because like the maga people seem to be pretty confident and um i mean batshit insane but they have their own epistemology you know q and on and all that yeah that makes sense to them. Yeah. Or <laughs> um, but but the liberal one is shrinking. You know what I mean? Like you, they keep taking L. Well, they're out of plays. You know what I mean? They're out of plays. Yeah. And they, now they've lost one of their icons. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and they're down to basically Amy McGrath and Joe Biden. Yeah. And on the other end of that, what do we? What I mean? What what do you tell somebody on the other end of that? Let's say Biden loses. Let's say McGrath loses okay or let's say like more let's say you know it's we talked about this a little bit i mean i guess probably several months ago now like the supreme court like if trump like and, and i don't look for this to happen but who the hell knows what if what if trump refuses to leave office you think well, well you is, see them is, Stephen, is Stephen bayer just going to get out there and like make him leave <laughs> Like what is what is the teeth of the Supreme Court or any of these any of these systems? Yeah, Elena Kagan's gonna be like standing in Tiananmen Square or you know like in front of the tanks. Yeah. Um, I'm no, I I I don't know. You see the liberals grappling with this, and on one hand, I mean I agree it's kind of concerning, but on the other hand, like I've found it very bizarre and. I just can't relate to it. I mean, I know it's concerning. I know it would cause this huge constitutional crisis if he doesn't leave office. But my more immediate concerns are, like, what the cops are doing right now. What the police are doing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to say that the Democrats are done if they lose in November. Because I don't think they are. And we just talked about this on the Patreon episode on yeah. Sunday. Like, I don't think they're going the way of the Whigs. I think that they're... Probably becoming a lifestyle. They're brand. going the way of Instacart, Uber, <laughs> Netflix. You know, yeah, you're right. Exactly, they're becoming a monthly subscription service for feeling virtuous and good. Right. An MLM, a pyramid scheme. Yeah. They're not a political party. They're not challenging anything. You that's have to going do politics to be a political party, as general rule. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so, I mean, that's that's the that's their way out. Like, they try to innovate out of everything. They're trying to innovate their way out of the e-crisis. They're trying to innovate their way out of governance. <laughs> is there <laughs> yes, another exactly. way to order the world? And they'll find out that there is. 
It's exactly right. And it's not good for no, us. Anyway. It's exactly right. Um, but no, you see them struggling with this. Like, what are we going to do when he leaves office? And it's the answer is nothing. I mean, there's probably nothing they're going to do. But, um, but all that to say is that I was thinking about this last night. Like, I know this is a really kind of dumb stonerish point. I made this point on Twitter, but like, we kind of live in an era where everything is run by a cult that doesn't acknowledge itself as a cult. Right that sees itself acting in the public interest, a cult that acts in the public interest. So whether it's the Democratic Party, the GOP and MAGA, or the cops, they're all cults, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and this really came through when I was reading that email. That So did you read this? So this came out like the day before the Breonna Taylor thing was announced, the decision was announced. Um, it was... Louisville Metropolitan Police Department Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, who was being investigated as part of Breonna Taylor's case. Oh, I did see this. So he was, yeah. yeah, he sent an email to around 1,000 officers at 2 a.m. 2 a.m. Yeah. And and I thought it was a fascinating look into the cop mentality because on one hand you're like these guys are monster, they're monsters and they're fascists, <clears throat> but on the other hand I was like these guys are just they're dorks, man. It's like you've always said they're they're like these tragic, co- tragic comic figures yeah. that are like they're pitiful. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, let's read. Let me read this. LMPD family, I'm not here to give you a rah rah. You got this speech. I'm not here to tell you that you signed up to help this community and to keep your head up. I'm here to tell you I'm sorry you have to go through this. I'm sorry your families have to go through this. I'm sorry the mayor, Amy Hess, and Chief Conrad failed all of us in epic proportions for their own gain and to cover their asses. You do not deserve, all caps, to be in this position. The position that allows thugs to get in your face and yell, curse, and degrade you, throw bricks, bottles, and urine on you, (laughs) and expect you to do nothing. It goes against... (laughs) Bricks, bottles, and piss they put there. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) The bricks that we put there for them to pick up do not deserve having that thrown at you. It goes against, quote, or caps, everything we were all taught in the academy. (laughs) The position that if you make a mistake during one of the most stressful times in your career, the department and FBI, parentheses, who aren't cops and would piss their pants if they had to hold the line, go after you for civil rights violations. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Well, it's, it's also funny that, like, just regular patrolmen don't look at FBI as cops when actually they're, like, yeah. the <laughs> ultimate cops. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is kind of why I'm... For fascism to work, it's really going to need some ideological coherency because... It's going to need some smart cops, people and not just brutes. Yeah, you can't because, quote on brutes forever. Exactly, because, like, cops, like, their psychological profile makes them impossible to work together, and so, like, they are competitive with other law enforcement agencies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fun- Well, it's funny, because I was talking to Tyrone about this yesterday. I called him, because I, I like to keep my fingers on the pulse of what the cops are saying about, like, cop stuff. Right, our police chief, yeah. by the way. and he was talking about how, like, Steve Conrad was a huge piece of shit, and, like, all his officers, he said they'd had, he's had, like, several votes of no confidence from all the cops in LMPD and all this stuff. Greg Fisher, like, they've, like, 
in a strange way, the cops have figured out how to organize. Like yeah. they topple their bosses all the time. You know what yeah, I mean? They get police absolutely. chiefs ousted all the time, like whatever, and they get essentially what they want. And this has created like really principally the central thing of this whole crisis of people getting murdered in the streets and everything else is like you now have like an extremely exceedingly powerful political block that is just regular ass cops yeah was they have their own they have their own epistemology their own social explanation for why things are the way they are yeah. i mean he says it right here your civil rights mean nothing but the criminal has total autonomy Right. The criminal has total autonomy. He says some stuff about good versus evil in this too, doesn't he? Yeah, he did. This is what he says. He says, We all signed up to be police officers. We knew the risk and were willing to take them, but we always assumed the city had your back. We wanted to do the right thing in the midst of an evil world to protect those who cannot protect themselves. To enforce laws that make it possible to live in a peaceful society. We as police do not care, all caps, if you are black, white, Hispanic, Asian, and what you and what you identify as dot 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 this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like yeah, you okay. really believe that. <laughs> right. Exactly. We aren't better than anyone. This is not a, an us against society, but is good versus evil. We are sons, daughters, husbands, wives, partners, brothers, sisters, dads, and moms. We are human beings with flaws, feelings, and emotions. Like, I can kind of, like, just because of my proximity to um, cops and the class that cops come from, again, most of them come from the working class, I can kind of understand this line of thought in the sense that they all think that they are protecting society, right? Like, they all think that people need protection and they need someone like them to protect them. The cop mindset is this. I have nothing else to offer society, so I'm going to be sort of the front lines against the evildoers. And then what happens is the reality is much more complex than that when you're talking about good versus evil, who's bad, who's not, who's whatever. So they have certain things they need to be true. And then race is one of those modalities that gets played out in that calculus. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because of yeah. because of because of you have a legacy of of anti blackness dating back whatever, whatever, whatever. Time immemorial. And so that ends up being like like just sort of a default pitting one against the other. Yeah. <clears throat> That's exactly right. I mean and so uh, when you look at it that way, it, it doesn't matter what a cop believes when he's getting into the job. It doesn't matter the reasons for why he does it or whatever. Once he becomes slotted into that system, he's going to carry out the functions of that of that institution role. and yeah. system. That exactly. Role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like the little dig there, by the way, of what you identify as dot 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 this week. I mean, very obvious that he's referring to people who are like, I identify as a helicopter. You know what I mean? People who are like make fun of pronouns. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways, he says, now I'm just rambling, but I want you to know that I'm still proud to be a cop, to be an LMPD cop. No matter the ineptitude in upper command or the mayor's office, this is one of the greatest jobs on earth. With that being yeah, said, yeah, these it's next the sweetest days- get going. <laughs> you, you can do whatever you want with no repercussions. 
whatever you yeah. want. You ever wanted to kill a person with impunity? Be a cop. That's what I, I told Tyrone yesterday. I said, if you ever wanted to kill somebody, it'd be a good day to do it. Yeah. Um, uh, with that being said, they, they are going to be long. They are going to be frustrating these next few days. They will put a tremendous amount of stress on your families. Do not let your ego get you in a trick bag. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Have your partner six. De-escalate if possible. Do not give the pencil pushers at the top, you know, the ones who are too scared to hold the line, a reason to open investigations on you. Man, isn't it weird they've adopted, like, a, a weird rhetoric that's, like, sort of, like, plugs into, like, Marxism, kind of? Do they've adopted the rhetoric of labor, of movements, of late, uh, you know. Of, they, uh, they've applied... A perverse sort of interpretation, but it is it is a kind of Marxism. It's labor solidarity. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um not good, by the oh. way. <laughs> that does not bode ill for society oh, wow. in the future. Um Because actually, you know, now I'm thinking about it, like once you actually exercise that power, the cops are a brilliant example of how powerful that is in society. When you are actually exercising solidarity and coordination, cooperation with your fellow workers in the political realm, the cops exemplify how well that can work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And And every other, like... I mean, it also, too, just illustrates how, like, liberalism is woefully, like, again, woefully deficient in, like, attacking that. Because, like, what do you, how do you even, like, give me an example of anything, any tenet of liberalism that can topple a state-funded paramilitary force that is, like, in lockstep with one another and always covers for one another. Right. There's nothing you can do to penetrate that. Nothing. nothing. I mean, not not in the liberal world. Vote, no. vote. Oh, what the fuck's voting gonna do? Joe Biden told was you gonna vote for Joe Biden, the guy that said we should shoot him in the legs. <laughs> I forgot he said that. Oh, I mean, I don't know if you saw this last night. Kamala Harris's statement. Did you see Kamala Harris's statement last night? No, the top, the top cop. Yeah, she said, Joe Biden and I are keeping the police officers who were shot in Louisville in our hearts, wishing them a swift and speedy recovery. Violence is not the answer, and we must find a way to express our grief, anger, and demands in ways that reflect the world we wish to see. Just now, I just want to—I want to go back to this. We've talked—we talked about this a few weeks ago. But if you are running for political office, and what she's referring to is last night there were protests after the announcement of the non-indictment of these murderers. There were protests, and apparently two cops were shot. That's what she was referring to. <clears throat> if you are running for office, you have two options for what to do about the protests, the riots, the anger, the the justified outrage in the streets. You can either clamp down on them hard, the Trump MAGA way, or you can harness the outrage and anger towards some sort of intervention on state power, some sort of road or path to reform. And Biden and Kamala Harris are they're not they're not doing either of those things. They are once again policing people. Yeah. And Biden said this last night, you know, I think his I can't remember what his statement was. It was something along the lines of like uh don't sully Breonna Taylor's memory by holding non peaceful protests. I mean, again, it's like I, 
you're sealing your own fate. I, I don't. I mean, they they may they. I still believe they'll probably win. Man, but I don't know. They're doing everything they can to not, though. They're doing everything they can to not. Um. So, anyways, let's go back here. Um. Uh, don't give the pencil pushers at the top a reason to open investigations on you. The same ones that couldn't make decisions to save their lives. We need leaders that lead from the front and not in a room under a desk. Do what you need to do to go home to your fam- you, your family. Just do it with dignity and make sure you can justify your actions because everything down there is recorded. Holy shit. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Um, basically saying, like, if you have to kill a protester... Make sure you've covered all your bases and have your body cam cross, turned on. Yeah, cross your T's and dot your I's. Man, this is terrifying. You know, we're talking about Biden and Harris there. They're afraid of this block. I think They're terrified. The guy that's, that presumably, if he wins, would assume in a peaceful transfer of power or whatever, will, like... It is, like, so afraid of them that they walk on eggshells with them. Uh-huh. That's how powerful this is. Organized. This stuff that we're preaching, this organization, that's how powerful it is. You yeah, bring kings uh, again, to their knees. <laughs> and once again, it goes back to what I was just saying a couple minutes ago. They're actually organized and exercising their organization and solidarity in the political realm. Look how powerful that is. Man, it is really sad. That, you know, we're talking about precedents and everything. And I'm thinking about God. What could we do? And the two examples I'm looking to are the cops and the bath party. (laughs) (laughs) That's how bad shit is. That's how woefully deficient the left has been, too, lately. Yeah, I guess we should probably put a disclaimer and say, like, we're not in any way... I mean, hopefully that's clear, but you never know. Fucking dumbasses listen to this and be like, on the triplies this week, they pro Bathist. <laughs> yeah, the Bathist. Bath- turns out the Bathist coal miners more than a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, anyways, let's finish this. I don't know a lot of you guys, gals, but I felt the love, regardless of the outcome today or Wednesday. I know we did the legal, moral, and ethical thing that night. He's referring to the night they murdered Breonna Taylor in her bed. Defenseless? They think he says they did the legal. That's probably, that is true. He did do the legal yeah, there's correct no, thing. There's, there's no repercussions um, for this shit. Yeah, because there's no repercussions. But the moral and ethical thing? Jesus Christ, dude. He said, it's sad how the good guys are demonized and criminals are canonized. Put that aside for a while. Keep your focus and do your jobs that you are trained and capable of doing. Don't put up with their shit and go home to your those lovely families and relationships. I wish I were there with you leading the charge. I'll be praying for your safety. Remember, you are just a pawn in the mayor's political game. I'm proof they do not care about you or your family, and you are replaceable. Stay safe and do the right thing. You are loved and supported, all caps, by most of the community. Uh, now go be the warriors you are. Yeah. Warriors capitalized Another, w. Yeah, no, that's... Um, more fashy right exactly but please be safe none of these peaceful protesters are worth your career or freedom he he put peaceful in quote unquote godspeed boys and girls sergeant john mattingly fuck you bitch man you know what's funny it's another thing that happens to liberals when like the fash get organized like this is liberalism has no answers for this because like 
from the left, what we see in a guy like Greg Fisher is a guy that's like is just cowardice, right? Like he's afraid right. to take line, afraid to do anything. He has the power to, like at 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 the very least, like axe all these guys. He won't right. do that. And then from the other end, the cops see him as like an impediment to what they really want to do. Like a exactly. stumbling block, a guy with an agenda. And it's the same thing you see in New York with de Blasio. Like I, I heard some, I forget where I heard is that, but like on these like forums, like these like New York City cops would openly make jokes about like raping his daughter and stuff. And then this motherfucker yeah. just gets out on the podium and praises them as brave and everything else. No, no well, repercussions. I mean, it should at this point hopefully you should be starting to pick up on the idea that the problems go they, they're kind of a little deeper than just voting for them i mean even if you, even in the most generous reading of joe biden you think that he's going to reform the police once again you have to ask like doesn't this kind of indicate a culture that is so deeply ingrained it's impossible to reform i mean again i mean it's like you were just saying a minute ago it's so deficient to just say vote because like it almost makes you feel it's like the mr crab meme you know what i mean like when you hear that because it's like so out of step with reality like the problems are so big yeah. it just feels like voting is like a drop in the bucket i mean again i'm gonna do it because i probably don't have a shit going on on november 3rd but like <laughs> just I, mean, I need to stretch my legs a little bit <laughs> yeah i need to go out for a walk <laughs> But, like, I don't know if you saw this. I'm, I think you did. I think you posted about it. But there was a story in Mother Jones about this cop who was on the Atlanta police force yeah. who quit because they were asking him to basically, uh, you know, uh, prosecute people, to, to terrorize people in their homes because, a lar- like, this development company was trying to gentrify a neighborhood. It's the exact same thing that got Breonna Taylor yeah. killed. Did you see that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, let me read this to you. This cop, like, quit. So there's two fascinating things here. First of all is this this cop um, was on the Atlanta police force. His name was, it's in Mother Jones, the cop who quit instead of helping to gentrify Atlanta. His name was Tom Gissler, 49. Um, he started in April 2017 and quit July 2020. <clears throat> he talks about how, like, they kept making him yeah, go down to his neighborhood. to become a cop. Yeah, really. It's like, yeah, 40, I, yeah, like I mid-40s. <laughs> yeah. But they kept making him go down to this neighborhood and just issue the most petty citations for everything. You yeah. Know, parking, uh, illegal parking. Can't, nobody can cross street without legal hassle. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Fee grabbing, as, yeah, you, as you've called grabbing. it. Um, and so he says how one day he just went down to the neighborhood and started asking people what what what's going on like what what is with the development why is he being made to do this and this is what he says a homeowner in the area was very frank with me he said the guys who own bedford pines who is that development area got their tax bill last year and their taxes were assessed based on all the gentrification that's happening in the area and so they wanted to move everybody out of these apartments and knock them down and rebuild these nice expensive apartments and the government said no and so then they said, well, that's okay. We'll just increase the rent. They tried to increase the rent, and the Section 8 guys came back and said, no, you can't do that either. The only way you can evict or do anything like that is if the person who owns the 
department is convicted of a felony. So the Bedford Pines guys just went to the police department and said, we want you to we want you to police in here and we're going to give you a section of Bedford Pines to actually have office space. And I want you to lock up as many people as possible so we can make these apartments vacant and we can knock them down. That is literally exactly what happened to Breonna Taylor. Yeah. This was part of a larger gentrification effort to exterminate people. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's like if you can't scare them out, then but basically what they did with Brianna is they executed her to terrify everybody else around them. Yeah, and what's even crazier about this story, this was at the very end. I don't know if you saw this. So after he quit based on his moral qualms with this, this is yeah. what happened to him. The police started terrorizing him. He oh, said yeah. the report... A report was made to the Division of Family and Children's Services alleging abuse in my household. Also, an allegation of animal abuse was made. Both allegations are very serious for anyone, but especially as law enforcement because you cannot operate while under investigation. The presumption is that whoever filed the report assumed I was going to stay in law enforcement and the effect would be terror and hardship. Um, my wife is especially blindsided by the ordeal and was truly terrified. Our leaving was necessary simply to insulate ourselves from such hijinks and blah, blah, blah. I mean, again, they just started terrorizing guy, this guy. Just started reporting him to children's services for abuse. Dude, it is like, it is like Omerta or some shit. You don't know, you get in that Truly. shit, man? Like, I, I, and I've had cops tell me this. They won't let me out of it. You just don't, it's just not something you just roll right out as soon as you want to. You know what I mean? Yep. It's crazy. It's, uh, you know what I, you know what I mean? And I, the guys like in Louisville, like Jill Holland, like Brooke T. Smith, like they're they have culpability in this. And I'm not saying that those guys like are responsible for Breonna Taylor's death, but that culture of gentrification, all that kind of stuff. Anybody that's participated in that is, uh, you know, from a position of power, is complicit in that. And so I don't really want to hear from like the captains of Louisville gentrification about what a horrible thing this is and all the hand wringing and the murals you're going to paint whatever like fuck off like you created the conditions to get her killed and you got to reckon with that it just goes to show you that like all of their pleas for like anti-racism and all this stuff it's all facile and just skin skin deep because what this shows is it's not just a a matter simply of racism it's a matter of race plus class so these people are targeted not just because of their race they're targeted because they live in an area that capital needs to just, you know, ravage right. uh, some more. Because, once again, we're sort of in this era of real estate capitalism where all the frontiers of capital accumulation have been exhausted. Yeah. And so all we can do now is just destroy and rebuild and destroy and rebuild and strip every amount of capital out of the commons and, and, and previous capital, uh, uh, you know— accumulative sinks areas that that that's all that's left yeah. and so it's again it's a, it's it's a systemic thing and when people talk about systemic racism when liberals talk about it i don't even think that they see the holistic portrait of this i don't think they realize that this is all one big sort of mosaic that it has more it's, it's it goes way deeper than just some anti-blackness at the heart of this country yeah. which there is don't get me wrong but it is that plus something else yeah. That something else is capitalism. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, um, it's not a, yeah, it's, I mean, we, this is something we debate all the time, but it's not a, you know, and or situation. Exactly. 
Oh my god. Um, well, let's let your county got to say about it all. Yeah, we can do speeches. <laughs> yeah, let's see what. <laughs> let's, I mean, we talked about a whole host of stuff. Let's see what's what they're saying locally. Uh, uh, in the Appalachians, where I was born and lived as a young boy, our home burned down, and we had no place to go. You couldn't find homes or anyone to take you in back in those days, so we had a barn and fixed it up. We never blamed anybody else, and we sure didn't blame the president for the old place burning down. In California today, they're standing up and saying it's President Trump's fault for the fires there. <laughs> Don't blame the president every time you stub your toe. He told California what to do, and what to do, they... He told California what to do the last time it caught on fire. That's, dude, that's such a bizarre, that is such a bizarre, I mean, like, in the Appalachians where I was born and lived as a young boy, our house burned down and we had no place to go. Like, the idea of somebody in, like, 1950 blaming, like, Truman. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a bitch. Anyway. I just want to say a special thank you to a woman and the young girl, I guess it was her daughter, who were out on US 119 at May King picking up all the trash that our county government is too inept and uncaring to have picked up. Much of the trash in the May King area comes from bags that fly off the county's garbage trucks, but then the county doesn't pick it back up. Our new county judge, Terry Adams, needs to get a handle on this. Who is a trash man, by yeah, who the way? Is? I mean, like, literally, yeah. that was his job. <laughs> Financially broke or not, nothing stops our county government from taking steps to clean this place up. If I were a magistrate or the county judge, I'd be ashamed for how nasty this place has gotten. Nasty. Just plain nasty. nasty. Man, a lot of people got opinions about the wildfires. I see all these fires out there in California, and I know they despise bulldozers out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, bulldozers are just strictly a conservative thing. Dude, that is hilarious. Virtue signaling about bulldozers. I know, I know, I know those fucking pussies don't like a bulldozer out there. What's funny, man, is California is actually very redneck in most places except for, like, the cities. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's a very conservative state in many ways. They could cut some bleeders between those tires and get the timber out and pull the dirt down and have a block so flames couldn't jump. I wonder how much value in timber has been destroyed along with those thousands of houses. Editor's note. <laughs> The Los Angeles Fire Department and other agencies in California do use bulldozers to fight wildfires. <laughs> he had to point it out. He had to point this it out. This month alone, stories and photos about the dangers of the job of wildfire bulldozer operators have appeared in several publications. For example, on September 9th, the Wall Street Journal reported that bulldozers and their operators play, quote, a key role in helping the state battle blazes. I, they threw that line in there just as a hedge against this guy. Right, right, right. Dear Speak Your Peace, I heard Ted Cruz the other day talking about Obama and Pelosi visiting the place in Wuhan, China, where they were studying the bat virus. <laughs> Ted said Obama and Pelosi liked what they saw, and so they wanted to give money for the study of the coronavirus. Now go out and vote. <laughs> Mr. President, 
God bless you and your family. It's uh, it's funny. It's like like the conservatives are almost like copying the Muslims and how that they greet each other and everything. Right, right, right. Allahu Akbar. Sir, you will be our next president. We know what the world was like before you got in there. As for not warning us about the dangers of the coronavirus, sir, you didn't want to scare the American people. <laughs> oh my God, dude. This blows my mind. This blows my fucking mind. This is incredible. You acted appropriately to be the president of the United States. God bless you and God bless your family. Build the fence. Build the fence. <laughs> wow. That is incredible. DJ, DJ, run that back. As for not warning us about the dangers of the coronavirus, sir, you didn't want to scare the American people. This, that's got to be some kind of a troll. If that's a troll and this person is like... Like, has drank a little too much of the cooler. <laughs> I'm afraid it's real. Sir, it's be, as I for mean. the very real dangers and, you know, the <laughs> death toll, ah, you were just doing, you were just acting in the best interest of most people. Mm, yeah. Oh, my God. There's a few non-political ones in there this week. See if you can get to some of the juicy gossip ones. There's some good ones in there. Oh, my God, I want to say, I just want to do this one real quick, though. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Donald Trump is the greatest president we've had since Ronald Reagan. I actually cried the day Trump took office. (laughs) I felt like there was hope for our nation again. I was so glad the misery of the Obama years were over. (laughs) God has had mercy on America. What is that? That is such a weird idea. Like, people sitting around. I mean, I, I understand it. If you're racist, yes, the Obama years were misery. But, like, they were no different than any other president. Before or after, yeah. Jesus Christ. God has had mercy on America the past four years and has given the American people a space to repent and turn from the wickedness of the Democratic Party. Mercy looks like 200,000 people dead. Well, I mean, it's people that believe in a blood sacrifice for... Can you even begin to imagine the mess our nation would be in now if Hillary Clinton had been elected? And now we have all the Democrat (laughs) vultures coming up to destroy our nation. When the coronavirus broke out in China, the Democrats were busy trying to impeach our president. The Democrat Party is useless to America. I will agree with you You're not wrong, pal. It would be good if the Democrat Party was dissolved and done away with so the American people could have a peaceful life. Hey... I'm with you on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. If you value the great United States of America, then vote for Donald Trump. I would never vote no, for a Democrat. That. I do not want to be a partaker in their evil deeds. <laughs> a little, little palate cleanser here. <clears throat> oh, my God. That was quite a show two ladies put on for some gawkers in May 2003. Just wondering <laughs> if there's going to be an encore or if there ever will be. <laughs> Some guy I saw two women like making out or something. He's been thinking about it for 17 years and wonder. For 17 years. Yeah. It's like, man, I'd love to see that shit again. <laughs> to a certain person, do you want to know why your mom didn't want to have you move into her place? It's because you were so nasty. <laughs> she didn't want to have to clean up after you again. 
And you're so nice. And somebody put Donald J. Trump as a Benito Mussolini wannabe. Yes. Yeah, good one. <laughs> oh shit. Let's see. Fuck. To a certain person. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, you read this one, but there's one after this I want you to read too. To a certain person. You will never in your life believe how much it meant to me to finally get your phone number and tell you right to your ear what a low life you are for the way you treated your children. You know who you are, you low life, worthless piece of trash. And no, I'm not drinking like you always say I am. I am stone cold sober, and that meant so much to me. I can't imagine what the rest of the eight women you were married to went through with you. I know what I went through. Wow. Oh, man. Go up one, two, three from that okay. one. The one that starts out with Mr. President. <laughs> Mr. President, <laughs> as far as the lady who died, I have respect for her, but I think you have the right to go ahead and put anyone you want in that chair she sat in. The Constitution <laughs> is what the Supreme Court is supposed to be about. God bless you. Uh, dude, I love that one because I feel like it perfectly encapsulates, like, part of the RGB thing that I found so fascinating was, like, I'm going to guess if you were to poll the vast majority of Americans, I don't really think they would know who RPG is, right? Like, maybe, I don't know, but I just, I thought that that one summed it up. It's like, that lady who died, I don't really know who she is, but, I mean, I, I guess I have respect for her. Yeah, but. I mean, like, she would probably be the most famous of the justices. Like, I, nobody knows who, you know... Uh, Stephen Breyer or, you know, Lena Kagan right. or, like, in, you know, Eola, but... Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're right. Oh, yeah. shit. Well... Uh, that that probably sums it up for the week of September 24th. Oh, man. Yeah. Something about Mitch McConnell know. being cold and calculating and not a caring country gentleman. Well, mm-hmm. anyway... Oh, wow. Well, that probably about covers it. Um, Like I said at the top of the show, if you want takes on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Trillbilly takes, the uninformed Trillbilly takes, go listen to that. Although I have to say, if you want really good takes, go check out that Podcast 5-4. Their most recent episode about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I felt was like spot on, you know... It was obviously by people who knew what they were talking about. So, like, I don't have any fucking clue what I'm talking about when it comes to, like, the law and the courts. As some of you have pointed out in the comments. As... <laughs> exactly. So, just go check that out. I wish I could just, you know, copy-paste that whole thing into this. But if you want to hear our takes, go to the Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash and you'll get an episode every Sunday uh, delivered right to your inbox or whatever podcast app you use. Um, and uh, I'm not sure when Tanya will be back. She may not be on the Patreon this weekend. Um, we'll see. Like I said, it's been a it's been a bad week over here in Tribbly Land. But you know, we're trying. We're doing our best to survive. We're scratching and surviving. That's the name of the game, Just right like everybody now. Else. To so that's the name of the game right now. Scratch and survive. That's right. Um, so, anyways, 
uh, wish us best. Give us your thoughts and prayers and pledge to the Patreon. We always appreciate that. Um, and also, I want to plug uh, my band, Tenure. Um, you don't know how to spell that. It's that thing you get in college when you teach too long. <laughs> when you teach at it. <laughs> when you teach at it. Um, we're on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Bandcamp. Go check us out. Got an album on there and two new singles that we just put out. And check out the most recent Year Zero episode uh, if you if you need some informative listening uh, about about oil. Hell yeah! So, anyways, you got a lot of things to go check out and to keep you busy. That's um, your homework. <laughs> we'll see you soon. There's your homework. That's right. Go do all those things. We thank you so much for listening. Please try to stay safe out there, especially if you live in Louisville or any other major city where there are protests, riots, etc. Please stay safe. Look out for each other. Um, and uh, keep fighting the good fight. Because we're with you. Uh, so anyways, we'll talk to you next time. And uh, go with God. Peace out.